Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you that you have promised to give us wisdom when we ask. We need wisdom. We need our eyes to see. We need our ears to hear, not just physical eyes and spiritual physical ears, but spiritual eyes, spiritual ears. Help us to hear the truth all the way deep down in our heart today. Help us to respond and obey. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have spoken, and we can know that you have spoken. As we open this book, we can hear from you. Holy Spirit, lead us. I trust you will. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The sermon title today is Folly. Just one word, folly. And folly, just a little bit of folly, in the life of somebody who's other... In, in other matters of life, really wise, just a little bit of folly to a good man or woman will end up going really, really bad. Just a little bit of folly. It's kind of like a little bit of poop. A little bit of poop in a recipe. You've heard that metaphor before. You have a really good recipe, but you have a little bit of poop in it. It's a really bad recipe. It goes bad real quick. Nobody wants a really good cake with a little bit of poop. As poop cancels, no, it's in my notes. It's in my notes. So as poop cancels out a good recipe, so folly often cancels out wisdom. When the pressure comes in life, when difficulties come to us and we face them head on, otherwise godly people can act very, very strange. You may have experienced this in your life where a lot of things are going great. You've had a lot of wisdom in this particular category, in this particular way of life, and then something, you get thrown a curveball, and for a month, you're acting like a complete weirdo. And other people are looking and thinking, what, what in the world's going on? Or you may know somebody like this. For long periods of time, they're living well, honoring the Lord, taking care of their family, doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, that's odd. What in the world's going on in their life? Why are they doing that for? And you're having to talk to them, and you're having coffee with them, and saying, man, what in the world's going on? Folly is a lot like a little bit of poop. Something's just a little off, and Solomon knows, he knows what I'm talking about. He's going to take us there, uh, you know, more importantly or more, uh, more accurately, we know what Solomon is talking about. He's going to give us examples today of folly, and by giving us examples of folly in different categories that he's going to highlight uh, for us, in four or five verse blocks, he's going to show us this is folly, this is folly, and this category of life, this is folly, and by learning what folly is, the expectation is that we're going to walk away from that and and act the opposite of what he's exposing. So he's not showing us folly so we can live foolishly. He's showing us folly so we can live wisely. Look at verse 1, and this demonstrates what we're talking about. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make the perfume's ointment give a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. When there's just a, a dead fly, one dead fly... In the perfume, the perfume stinks. The chemicals don't work in the way that they're supposed to work. The aromas don't work in the way that they're, suppo they're supposed to work because there's something in that ointment that's offsetting the appropriate smell. So you may have this really good smelling cologne or perfume, but if you get something that dies in it, it cancels out the smell. And Solomon's telling us that that's how folly is. A little bit of folly will outweigh wisdom and honor. So we need to, to learn these categories, these several different categories. We need to learn what folly is and do the opposite. 
Learn what folly is and do the opposite. So we're going to look at a couple different things here. So here's the things we're going to work through today. Folly, a fool goes the wrong way. So fools, they go the wrong way. So in other words, we need to go the right way. A fool goes this way. The wise goes this way. Then we're going to look at the folly of kings. The folly of kings. Bad kings do things this way. Good kings do things this way. Then we're going to look at the folly of a really bad worker. What, is a, what does a bad work ethic look like? We're going to look what foolishness looks like for the worker. And then we're going to look at foolish speech. Foolish speech. What, what does it mean to, to speak in such a way that does not communicate wisdom and honor, but instead communicates foolishness? And then we're going to look at more specific, a little bit different in contrast, work ethic. The foolishness of laziness. And then finally, we're going to look at the foolishness of national life. The foolishness of national life. Not just the life of a king, but what does foolishness in national life look like? So let's start with going the wrong way. Look at verse 2 and 3. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now this is not a political verse, but it would work really well. Our campaign slogan is Ecclesiastes 10.2. Verse 3, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says everyone else is a fool. He says to everyone that he is a fool. Excuse me. Um, Wisdom, if wisdom is on the right, and and try to disconnect your mind here from, from, from politics for a minute. The point here that Solomon is getting is that if wisdom is on the right, here's where the fool finds himself. The fool finds himself on the left. Wherever wisdom is, the fool is falling, falling on the other side and saying, ah, I don't know about that. I've got my way, and I'm not going to walk in wisdom. I'm not going to be patient here. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. So all the wise people are on this side, walking in wisdom, doing the right thing, wanting to honor God, wanting to obey Him, and the fool's over here saying, that's foolishness. And they're doing their own thing. A fool goes against God. And a fool publicly advertises his foolishness. They propagate stupidity. Look at the verse 3. He says to everyone that he is a fool. He walks on the road. He doesn't lack, he doesn't, he didn't lack, he lacks sense. He, he doesn't have sense. And he says to everyone, I'm a fool. He publicizes his foolishness. He wants attention to be drawn to it. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Where the way of wisdom is over here, walking and not caring whose eyes on them. They're wanting to honor the Lord. And they don't care if their righteousness is announced to the world. Or the fool is over here telling everyone how foolish they are, announcing it. Wisdom's on the right. Foolishness is always on the left. Fools go the wrong way. So here's the warning. And again, this is, this is Solomon the preacher here. Solomon's not just making general observations. Remember, he's the preacher. He's announced himself in the very beginning of this book, in chapter 1, as Koheleth, the teacher, or the preacher. He is preaching, announcing things to us, the way things are, or the way things are if you don't believe in God at all, if it, the way living as if God doesn't exist at all, and then he's announcing how what things should be, wisdom from above. And so he's saying to us, don't be like the fool. Walk with wisdom, don't announce your folly to everybody. In humility, live before God and men with honor and with wisdom. But too often, it's not just the laity. Too often, it's not just the the common man or common woman that are going in a foolish direction. Often, we see this in the lives of kings as well. Look at verse 4. If the anger 
of the ruler. We're going to go ahead and read down through verse 7. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. If a king gets angry, we're given a command. Be calm, and anger will be put to rest. A gentle answer will turn away wrath. Calmness in the light of heated opposition will reveal itself. This person is acting in wisdom. This person is acting in folly. And if the king is angry with you, then you be calm, respond appropriately, walk in wisdom. And the foolish king, even though he wants you to match his anger, you and your wisdom will not match anger for anger. And so the foolish king wants everybody to be angry. Emotional, emotion is king to the fool. And emotion is king to a foolish king. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. He wants everybody to match his emotion. When he's angry, he wants everybody to be angry. And Solomon is saying, be calm and put that anger to rest. In verse 6, we find out that the king's anger is not just. It's not just anger. It's not right anger. In in so many ways, when, when somebody's in error in one way, often there's error in another way. And if you're angry all the time, if you're emotional all the time, it's going to reveal itself in your judgment. And your judgment is going to be off because you're going to be making decisions by way of emotion. And if you're always making decisions by way of emotion, you're going to find yourself in a spot thinking, I really shouldn't have done that. I, I thought I should have. I thought so strongly that I should have done that or that I shouldn't have done that. What I should have done is been patient been prayerful, taken time, looked at all the data, looked at the facts, prayed, talked to wise counsel, and then made a decision. I shouldn't have just... So when a king is living by his emotion, he is going to make terrible decisions. He's not even going to know who to reward. In verse 6 and 7, we find out he doesn't know who to reward. He offends the rich, and he puts slaves on horses, and he puts princes on the ground. He doesn't even know how to honor the right people. And in, in some ways you might think, well, that would be great. Go ahead and elevate uh, you know, people into a high place that were in a low place. That sounds almost Christ-like. Reward those who nobody else is rewarding. Put the slaves on the horses and put the princes on the ground. But what Solomon is saying is this king doesn't even know who to reward, and that's a bad thing. In this instance, he's rewarding the people who should not be rewarded, and he is putting down those who should not be put down. Folly goes hand in hand with emotionalism. It's a king who doesn't even know how to honor the right people. He rewards all the wrong people. The people who are walking in folly and foolishness, announcing their stupidity to all, this emotionally bad king begins to reward just the loudest voices out there making the most noise. He elevates names of those who should not be elevated. And think about the folly in this. Um, hear me, this could be controversial, I don't think, in our church. But when you uh, visit the family of Jacob Blake, this is Vice President Candidate Kamala Harris, or Kamala, how you pronounce her name. And we're going to speak honoring of all people in authority in a little bit, and, and we're going to be praying for them. 
But when you visit the family of Jacob Blake, but not the family of fallen police officers, you're functioning in the way that Solomon is exposing. You don't know who to reward, and you don't know whose name to be elevated, whose name should not be elevated. This, this is the folly of kings when uh, just by the seat of your pants, just emotion, emotion everywhere. It's not just her, it's all over the place. You don't know who heroes really are. It's folly. It's the folly of kings. What about the folly of foolish workers? Folly of foolish workers. Look at verses 8 through 11. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And by the way, uh, we're going to come back to this king thing here in a minute because we've got to do a little bit of translation when we talk about kings. Because in, in America, we've, we've talked about this recently a little bit, but the king's power has been spread out from one person into the people. And the king's power has been put in the hands of the people with the law being over the people. And then with elected representatives. That's an important thing to know. So we have a responsibility. When we hear about kings, this isn't just, we can't opt out of this and say all the people in leadership. we got to own it ourselves. We need to know who to rightly reward. We personally need to, need to know who to elevate and who to not elevate. We need to walk in the wisdom that, that Solomon is calling us to as well. Not just kings. Look at the foolish worker, verses 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and the serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarrels with stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and he does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before its charm, there is no advantage to the charmer. Solomon looks at life. Kings. Now let's talk workers. Let's just look at work and see how... Let's, let's, I just want to expose how to not work. If you want to be a fool in your work, do this. A little foolishness in work. What does it look like? A man will dig a pit and fall into it. Now, it's, it's pretty ironic and, and pretty foolish. If you're the one digging the pit, and then you're the one that also falls into the pit, then you're, not ob you're just oblivious to all the work that you're doing. You're just absent-minded. You're not paying attention to what you're actually doing. You're just digging, and then just digging, and then just digging, and then stepping right in it. It's folly. And in work, if we just work, the fool just works to get the paycheck. The, the fool doesn't work to do a job well done. The fool just digs because he's supposed to dig and then doesn't pay attention to the hole he just dig and walks right in it. A fool works like that. What about tearing a wall down, breaking through a wall? If you break a wall down, if you're on a demo team and you're not paying attention, you're going to harm yourself. And snakes in the ancient world, really all over the place. Have you heard, you know, there's a movie several years ago that came out, Snakes on a Plane. Uh, I had a friend of mine that was remodeling a house in Carbondale, and there were snakes all in the wall of the house. Like, that's just a house you just, you're like, here, sell as is. Just give me 20 bucks, you can have it. He remodeled the whole thing, and there were snakes in and all throughout that house. And a fool doesn't take, not take time in his work to know his surroundings and what's going to harm him. And so he has no idea that this thing's infested with snakes, doesn't care, the signs are everywhere, the, 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 the snake scales are there from all the snakes shedding the skin, doesn't matter, tears it up, and he gets bit by the serpent. Does not pay attention, and he gets bit. He who quarrels with stones is hurt by them. Uh, a man who works with stones and doesn't pay attention is a man who is hurt by stones. That, that is dangerous work. If you remember, the last few weeks I've been noticing I've been doing this because I'm trying to connect, connect these pictures with these Proverbs-like sayings in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm wanting to connect the dots to real life life. And so in Little House, remember Little House when 
when Paul, if you, if you watched a lot of Middle, Little House, there's a season where, there, there's an episode where the crops were destroyed by a huge storm, and Paul had to go find work as a stone worker, and he and his buddy went to this, this quarry, and they were a rock, they were a team where, where Paul took the, the, the it's Paul, right? Yeah. yeah. Paul took this, the sledgehammer, and the man had this spike, and Paul would hit the spike, and then you would turn the spike, and it was, it was really grueling work, because if you did this foolishly, you would crunch a wrist, you would break an arm, and they ended up winning this, I forget what they won, but they won a prize for being the best stone workers there. It's very dangerous work, and stone work is not work that you can do brainlessly. You have to pay attention, because you can get hurt very, very badly. But a man who is foolish in his work gets hurt by the stones he's trying to break. Same thing with working with lumber, working with wood, being an axe man. If you see on TV, there's that show, Axe Men. If you are working in jobs like that, you have to pay attention. But here, the fool is hurt by the logs that he's splitting. And then uh, a man tries to do work with iron, and he's using a blunt edge, but instead of taking time to sharpen the edge, he just says, I'll just work harder. And so he just keeps, keeps hammering away with that blunt edge. Abraham Lincoln said, give me six hours to chop down a tree. I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. And there's a lot of wisdom. This is the Proverbs-like wisdom. You can almost imagine Abraham Lincoln reading his Bible and reading this and thinking, oh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like chopping down a tree. If I'm going to chop a tree down, I don't want to use a dull axe and have blistered hands, ripped off calluses, and a sore back. I'm going to take a sharp axe and go at it for two hours. But a fool says, no, I'll just hit it harder. I'll just hit it harder. I'll just keep using the same tool. I just want to get this done. I don't want to take the time to do it right. This is what foolishness looks like in the workplace. And then in verse 11, it's almost funny. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. I mean, if the snake bites you, usually a serpent charmer is doing the charming on a poisonous snake. And so if you're charming a king cobra and the king cobra bites you, it's no advantage for you. <laughs> Thanks, Solomon. Like, you're absolutely right. It's no advantage. His whole point is to expose the folly of foolish working. Don't, don't walk in the folly of the foolish worker. Don't do that. Use wisdom. Come on. What about in speech? What about in speech? Solomon turns his attention to the mouth. Turns his attention to the mouth. Let's look at verse 12. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of the fool of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words. Though no man knows what he is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a man wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Foolish words. Wise men use their words to gain favor. Fools use their mouth to their harm. Now, there's a command in this verse as well, and it's, it's very clear. If you're going to use your words, use your words in such a way that are going to win you favor. Now, it doesn't mean you're just a schmoozer everywhere you go. It doesn't mean you're just a flatterer everywhere you go. But there is a way to use your words to honor people that brings you favor. You can go up to somebody and talk to them about the gospel of Jesus in such a way that is, now the gospel is offensive, but you can be, you can be a jerk. 
Or you can walk up and, and talk to them in such a way that softens the conversation a little bit. You can be a person who's welcoming by your words, that wins favor, it wins you an audience, it wins you a seat at the table. Not to be a creepy, weaselly person, but it wins you honor, and in that honor, in that favor, you're able to do what God's called you to do. Be that kind of person with your mouth. Don't be the fool whose lips consume him, whose foolishness consume him. Fools use their mouth to their own harm. And it starts off as foolishness, and its end is evil. Foolishness leads to more foolishness as lying leads to more lying. There's this endless vicious cycle that just keeps going and keeps building. It's like the snowball rolling down the hill. In the end, it crashes into the tree or the cabin and destroys it. Foolishness, have con foolishness has consequences as ideas have consequences. And foolishness has a logical end. There's an end game. That's why when you see people making terrible decisions, wise people see where those decisions are leading. And they see what's going to be lost. Wisdom is able to identify where's, it, where this, where's this headed in five years. If you keep doing this, if you don't get control of this now, this is what's going to end up happening. And friends, there's times that God has, has given me insight into the lives of people where I've been able to speak to them and say, hey, listen, if you don't get, get this under control, you're going to lose everything. If you don't stop, if you don't quit this right now, it's going to cost you everything. A fool just keeps on talking, won't listen. A fool's mouth gets him in trouble and keeps him in trouble, and he will not listen to anyone. You've met somebody, you might have been the person. When somebody else says, talking to you is like talking to a brick wall. That brick wall, like, Psh, talking to you is like talking to a brick wall. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times I've walked in foolishness like that, said, no, I know for sure. And then after like five minutes of conversation, I'm like, oh gosh, I was wrong. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Fools just keep on talking. They think they know it all. And then we see uh, a laziness, and we see more about work. Look at verse 15. The fool, the toil of the fool wearies him. He does not know the way to the city. Um, the, the fool's work ethic, going back to the worker, the, there's some people whose work excites them, and they see work. Dan, about two months ago, you talked about work energizing you, and, and even though the, the work comes through thorns and thistles and the sweat of our brow, we work all the days of our life, uh, work is also a gift bestowed upon us. Gift, work was not a post-fall gift. Or curse, excuse me. It was a pre-fall gift that God gave to both Adam and Eve. And work for the believer is redeemed. We work in such a way that uh, others know nothing about. And some people um, have jobs they don't necessarily like, but their work does not exhaust them. Now, work it should be tiring. You should get to the end of the day where you are tired. But there are some people whose work is just always draining and they can't do another day and they hate life and they're miserable and they want everybody to know it. The toil of a fool wearies him. He does not know the way to the city. And people like that, they become, they become more foolish. The toil itself, they think, is the problem. Um, it's not the hard work is the problem. It's the toil of that hard work. 
And so he's exhausted and he put out, he's, he's put out and he doesn't even know how to get to the city. His poor work ethic has dulled his senses to the point that other people know obviously how to get to the city. The city lights or the city sounds or the city smells are right over there. And they obviously know how to get to the city, but not this man. His senses have been dulled because of his terrible work ethic. His complaining, his whining has dulled his senses. He doesn't even know how to get to the city. He's just dumbed himself down. I, just don't, I don't even know how to do what other people know how to do anymore. And then we're going to see the foolishness of nations. Foolishness of nations. We're going to look at leaders. We're going to look at citizens. We're going to look at laziness as a citizen. And then we're going to get an exhortation. Look at verse 16. We're going to read and then go verse at a time. We'll read down through 20 and then we'll go verse at a time. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Though assault through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks, bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens the heart, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice. Or some winged creature tell the matter. A foolish leader first. A nation with childlike and immature leaders is in trouble. You know, God, we've prayed and God has done a lot of great things through Donald Trump. But everybody says that Donald Trump needs to put down Twitter. And as, as much as I want to honor him, because we are commanded to honor him, when he looks the most foolish is when he is ranting or responding to things he should just not respond to. Just let... Let those battles be fought by somebody else. You don't have to get in this. And so if, if there's anything that's childlike with him, it's, it's his thumbs and responses. If you've seen some of that stuff, you know what I'm talking about. And I want to speak honoring of him like I want to speak honoring of, of any leader or elected or appointed official. But we've got to remember as we're thinking about the king and we're thinking about how we connect the dots here, the king is not directly correlated with our president. So when we think about how government systems work, and with Israel, Solomon is the king. Now, remember, God warned his people, hey, you don't ask for a king, they'll start taxing you. <laughs> know that now we're taxed almost, by all the taxes we pay, it's almost over 50% of every dollar we make goes to taxes. Okay? That's terrible. God warns them, hey, they'll, ta they'll tax you like the other nations. They'll tax you. God warns them, don't, you don't want a king. And then God in his providence and his decision made them, give that, gave them a king. Our president, however, is not the direct correlation because our president is not a monarchy type power king. We've got to do a little bit of interpretive work. We've been, again, talking a little bit about this. But the king's power in America has been given to the people and we're subject to law. So for us, when the people are childish, when the king's power has been given to you, you have the king's power. And then you elect people as representatives that have certain responsibilities, but you can vote them out. You have civic responsibility. The king's power has been distributed to the people in a constitutional republic. Okay. So you have a responsibility to not be childlike. We have a responsibility to not walk in foolishness. 
Don't be childish. Woe to the nation when they have a king who is childlike, who's like a child. When the people are childish and the law is disrespected, we are in trouble. Woe to us. And when the citizens of a free nation who don't have a king but are, are in some ways the king ourselves, woe to us when we act like children and when our princes are partying through the night. When princes or leaders party to the morning, a nation is in trouble. You know when grandmas say nothing good past, you know, happens past midnight? If you're partying and feasting well into the morning and you're having a steak in the morning and it's not a steak and eggs at Waffle House, you know that something's off. If you're having dinner at 4 in the morning, you're not living right. Unless you're working midnights or something, so you get, you get the point. Christians must not be childish when it comes to self-governance or love for God or love for our country. We need to walk in wisdom. A nation is in trouble when their leaders are acting like children. When a nation loses itself to foolishness, that nation is rotting away. But when there's good leadership, the land can be happy. Things can go well. Look at verse 17 again. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. When the king is a son of nobility, now nobles were the ruling class, and Solomon is using this in such a way to say not just born into nobility, but an actual nobleman, somebody of character, when they live up to the name and they are a good man, when that king is king of the people and that king is noble, the land is happy. We could say when we are walking with character, when the people, the citizens of this nation are walking with character, walking with self-governance, not breaking the laws, doing what's right, honoring God, and humbly walking before Him and people, the land is happy. When more and more people are changed by the power of the gospel, the land becomes freer and happier. That's why we need revival, friends. We were talking about that earlier with, with Terry just out in the, in the lobby. We would, sometimes I wish I could just you know, push a revival button and everybody bow a knee. You know, like, you got to find that revival. It's like the fountain of youth. you got to find it somewhere. And if you hit it, then finally everybody will bow a knee and repent. And not just turn as a nation, but turn to God individually. Be saved and dwelled by the Holy Spirit. And be walking in the power of self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. We're, we're not breaking the laws anymore. We're not doing bad things that have to be punished in a society. We want that. We want revival. So when character is displayed... The people are happy. And then when the leaders know how to feast for the glory of God and, the, and for their good, for their own good, for their strength, and not for drunkenness sake, the people are happy. But there's always lazy people, lazy leaders, and that's where he brings us to in verse 18, the sloth. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. There's always this problem. A sloth leads to deterioration. Constant laziness or refusal to work leads to damage. And friends, that we have, again, when, when politics, this is so crucial. When we're talking about obedience or disobedience to God, you can talk about anything politically. It's, it's not political. It's about obedience and disobedience to God. 
And here's the thing, when any leader or any system, system of government wants to reward the sloth, we can say that's wrong biblically. That's evil. And any socialistic ideas that want to take money from hardworking people and give it to people who refuse to work, it will not work. There's, there, there's, diff, I, there's a massive difference, and you can talk about this, there's a massive difference between will, being willing to work and working hard and wanting to get yourself out of the position that you're in. But when we're talking about, we're literally having politicians saying that we're gonna, we want to pay people who are unwilling to work, who are not even willing to work. It's not people that are out working hard trying to do the best they can. We're talking about a whole other category of people saying, I don't want to work. I want to play video games. And people in the government saying, I want to give them money for that. That's not political. That's sin against God. That's not right. Sloth leads to deterioration. Laziness leads to stupidity. And when a nation fills with laziness, a nation is headed to much damage. I want you to hear what the, the sloth thinks. Solomon gets in the mind of the sloth and he said, Here, here's how the, the sloth thinks. Look at verse 19. Bread is made for laughter. Wine gladdens the heart. And money answers everything. Now Solomon's done a lot of talk about bread and wine in this book. A lot of talk about the proper use of bread and wine and laughter, joy. In fact, a lot of, a lot of things, I, I think what Solomon's trying to do, not, I think what, what Solomon is trying to do in the book of Ecclesiastes is you can have what all the world is seeking after. They're living as if God doesn't exist. They're doing all this activity under the sun, chasing this. And if you know the God that's above the sun, you can actually get what they are pursuing. You can actually have joy. You can actually have life. You can actually have friends. You can actually feast. You can actually use bread and wine and laughter, even money, in the way that it's supposed to be used. But the fool thinks that bread is simply for laughter. I'm going to have this meal and it's only to laugh. And that wine gladdens life. Now, Solomon says similar things in a positive way in other parts of the book. But the fool looks at, look, looks at wine and doesn't see it as a way of celebration. It's just, I'm going to make tonight more fun by drinking booms. I'm going to make tonight, I'm going to laugh more. And I'm going to, I'm going to get my kicks and giggles through wine. And then the sloth actually thinks that money is the answer to everything. This is not a positive statement saying that money is the answer to everything. This is an expose of the foolish sloth. There are countless billions of people who actually think that money is the answer to life. Really think that. I honestly think that. That if, if I had a, a million dollars or any more a billion dollars, I'd be the happiest man or woman in the world. They really think that. Because I could get all the things that I want. I could do the things that I, could, I want. I could travel where I want to go. I just had more money. And it's such a seductive lie. Let, let me just ask you a question. And I, I want you to be honest. I'll be honest. Who wants more money? I do. Like who would turn down somebody giving you a briefcase of a million dollars and saying, I, I, I didn't just knock somebody off for this. This is really, I'm just giving it to you. I'll be like, yeah. Yeah, yes, please. Hunting cabin, you know. <laughs> but let us not drink the money Kool-Aid and start to think like the sloth, to think if we just had a little bit more, we'd be more happy. Because we equate money and happiness. And it's easy just to think, oh, man, 
Christ. There's an element of truth in there where just, oh, if I just had more money. Or if I could get more things for free. If everything was simply free. Slothful thinking ruins a nation. Slothful, slothful thinking ruins a nation. I almost rhymed. Laziness is the rot of a people. Now, there is proper, proper use, as stated, of bread, wine, and money, but the sloth uses it all wrong. Bad citizens have no use for the proper way of doing things. They only do things the wicked way. The wise walk to the right, the left walk to the, the, the fools walk to the left, and they announce their stupidity to everybody, and they don't care who sees or hears. We get an exhortation. Again, Solomon is taking us somewhere. Look at verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for the bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Um, we, we need some correction here. We, we don't need to look at the sloth or the fool and turn our nose up to them. Um, it's easy. I've, I've watched my words. Since Romans 13, I have not said, and I was on the bandwagon about the Pritzker signs that said, you know, Pritzker, the S word, all the life out of businesses. And I was like, man, I want one of those. You know, like, that's, at least that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, like, things about politicians and people who see things differently than me. And uh, I was really corrected in that, and I've not spoken in that, that way about them. Now, I've spoken in that way about other people and about the craziness that's happening. And I've been convicted about the way I... Not that I'm wrong in seeing the stupidity of what's going on. But if I lack any pity whatsoever for them, and I just want somebody to be exposed for their foolishness, but I don't want them to bow their knee to Jesus, that's not a win either. Like exposing folly is one thing, but wanting them to repent and trust in Jesus, that's the goal. We don't want people just to, we don't want stupidity just to be revealed and for everybody to say, ha, 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 it doesn't work. We told you, look, your city's burning. Ha, 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 ha. We don't want that. Um. For the ones who know the problems, what they are, for the ones who understand reality as it is, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king or the rich. Uh, this is a warning for believers as well, for everybody. Don't curse the king or the rich. Curse, that's a strong word. doesn't mean you can't be critical. doesn't mean you say that this is wrong, this is foolish. But bringing curses upon somebody. And it, you, you know this in your heart. What are your thoughts towards J.B. Pritzker, honestly? What's your thoughts? Sorry, like if you're a Democrat in here, you're not going to last long. Um, uh, especially with his policies today. And, and, and so, what's your thoughts from the inside out, honestly? Um, or about the Biden-Harris ticket? I mean, they want vile things. And if they don't repent, they will experience and see the wrath of God. Absolutely. But do you hate them? I hope not. Um, foolish words will be exposed. The king will find out. There's a tendency to want to curse and want curses to fall upon foolish people. The world would just be better if all those fools were gone. Everybody was more like me. This world would be amazing. 
Um, almost a temptation to be done. Just wash your hands. Like, pff, hopeless, gone. Destroying a nation. Destroying, fighting against, warring against the people of God. But is there not hope for fools? Is there not hope? Is there not a man who took the curse for fools? Is there not a man who died in the place of fools like you and me? If there was hope for fools like you and me, is there not hope for the world? Because it's easy to go through this list and say, yeah, I, yeah I, know, I know everyone that Solomon's identifying. I know every one of them. You were a fool as well at some point. Minimally, you follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not working the sons of disobedience. That's pretty foolish. Wisdom identifies the foolishness in here faster than the foolishness out there. Let's do a case study real quick as we're thinking through this. Um, and let's throw out some names that you're going to be aware of. Marxists right now in our country. Marxism, I heard one pastor say they're grabbing too much too quick, and I think they're right. I think a lot of people in the country are saying, wait a minute. Back up. That's a good thing. What do we feel about them? Black Lives Matter. It's a wicked, evil organization. But is it a hopeless situation? Is there anybody there that God has chosen for himself and they just don't know it yet? And they're going to hear the gospel and they're going to hear everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And somebody in that Black Lives Rally march with their fist raised in the air, there's some street preacher out there that's going and risking their neck for a Black Lives Rally and Black Lives Rally Matter rally. Out there standing with a cross and being ridiculed by everybody. And there's somebody, there's somebody at that rally who's turning and just hearing what seems so futile. And cool Christians, by the way, mock street preachers. It's very cool to say, oh, we don't do that. We just do relational evangelism. And the guys are risking their neck, proclaiming the gospel. And there's somebody in those crowds that's going to look and think, what I'm doing is not right. And I'm hearing that God loves me, and I know how sinful I am. They're going to hear that. What about pro-choice people? Pro I mean, uh, abortion doctors should be, I think, biblically should get the death penalty. I think women who get abortions, there's forgiveness for them, but most of them are not being duped. Most of them know exactly what they're doing. And they're murdering their child. Abortion should be criminalized all the way around. But when I hear about somebody talking about infanticide, do I only want their doom? Or am I praying that the one who became a curse for fools like me would save them as well? Or what about liberal Christianity, so-called liberal Christianity, which is no Christianity at all? Almost all of our mainline denominations have gone that way. We have churches here that claim to be churches that are promoting the gay pride parades or sponsoring them. And it's vile as well. 
Um, these organizations are giving us case studies about ourselves. And we look and see the unholiness of these organizations and the sin and the folly and the rebellion and how terrible and wicked it is. And we can make our judgment about what they deserve. They're destroying a nation. They're warring against God. And we look at disgust. We were just like them. And our sin may not have been publicly flamboyant as some of these groups. But as stated before, we were still following the prince of the power of the air. How much darker does it get? Before we were set free, before we were made alive, we were following the devil himself. And we were living according to our own passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy, hating others and being hated by one another. We were just like them. But not just to a nation bringing threat of doom. We were raising our fists to God. And it's only pride that says otherwise. It's only pride that says I wasn't ever like them. There's not some of that in me. Galatians 3.13 says this. We talk about fools and curses. Do not let your... Do not curse the king. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So then Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might, fall, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Friends, we may not be rallying in the streets, but we were lawbreakers against a holy God. And we have been redeemed. And our message to lawbreakers, to Marxists, to Black Lives Matter, to Antifa, to liberal Christians, to the craziness that's happening is that they are lawbreakers. We should never say they're not. They are lawbreakers. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is hope. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And let us not be so hardened by lunacy that we forget to announce a Savior who came for sinners. This sermon's for me. This is for me. Instead of being angry, we would weep. God, be merciful. You are merciful to me. Be merciful to them. Open their eyes. God, we need revival. Save them. May those who are out there, out there doing this, may they see their law breaking. May they turn to you and see the one who came a curse for them. May it be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Help us. Convict us. Convict me. Lord, change me. I pray it would be demonstrated in the way I speak, in the way I feel from the inside out. Lord, I want to pray for revival more than I complain about what's happening in this political season. The literal time spent praying would be more than the time spent complaining. God, I think this is a corrective word to people like me. It's a corrective word to me and to maybe others as well who just get so frustrated and turn on the news and just think, well, everyone is, the whole world is morons. And God, help us to pause and say, such was I. And if it's not for the grace of God, I'd be right there with them. Maybe not that way, but in other sort of rebellion. So God, help us to cast ourselves in your mercy.
Thank you that you're always there. You're never, ever, ever tapping your foot frustrated that we're still hanging around. You're here with us and you're for us. You love us. And this is a corrective word, not a punitive word out of anger for us. So we receive your discipline. Help me to receive your discipline well. Help me to change. Help me to pray more than I complain. Holy Spirit, work revival in this land. If you don't come back for a long period of time, I pray, God, that we would have history books written about the revival that happened and started in 2020. Lead us, Holy Spirit, I trust you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.